after Johnson. Johnson still going. Oh good, welcome back Surly Talk Sports, steaming in off the back fence to hopefully bring some joy to your sporting week after one of the toughest weekends for our proud little nation in recent history. Of course, the All Blacks got within one point of winning the William Webb Alice Cup, the Black Caps within a boundary of glory against our arch nemesis, the Aussies. Unfortunately, the Kiwis, the key wasn't in the Wii on the weekend, the Kangaroos, just too good, but shout out to our women's sides, the Black Ferns and the Kiwi Ferns for going the big lift and keeping our proud nation in the W column and also shout out to the Wellington Phoenix, don't often mention them on this pod but that's how desperate I am to highlight winners this weekend, getting the dub at home, their first home game of the year against the Perth Glory so well done to those lads but it certainly was a tough shift, sport was the winner, New Zealand wasn't but hey, backs against the wall, we will stand tall and the best thing about sport she continues to march on so plenty to get through on today's show of course we'll dissect that rugby world cup final the kiwis and everything that i just mentioned before we'll also review that tyson fury biff because geez i think he was lucky to have his hand raised and then some massive news in the nba last night one of the trade of dooms going down so we will tuck into that so without further ado let's rip in and talk some footy Going to rip the band-aid off straight away here and tuck into the Rugby World Cup final which of course saw the Springboks win at 12 points to 11 and what was a tight tussle and unfortunately this wasn't the final that I thought everyone deserved. The build-up was huge, two historic and proud rugby nations set to go at it hammer and tongs to decide who would be the first nation to win four men's Rugby World Cups but unfortunately the narrative was controlled by the TMO and the refs. The third 30 players on the paddock weren't the main talking point from this contest. Disappointing for the spectacle overall, but still congratulations must be given to South Africa who had a game plan in the wet conditions and they executed it perfectly. I thought their high kicking was spot on. Shit can faff to clerk, smash a box kick. Their defence was elite as well and their ability to play completely different styles of code throughout this World Cup and transition through them seamlessly. You gotta tip your hat to them of course against France in that first 40 minutes they razzed it up and played some running rugby football in their semi-final against England they got dragged into a shit show but they still ground it out and then in this game they mixed it up a bit of kicking a bit of attacking flair and a solid defensive effort so really you could argue they are the best footy side in the world with their ability to adapt to however the game is flowing but as always throughout this contest I jotted down some notes I thought I'd run through those because I think it kind of does sum up 
up the full 80 minutes as a whole. First note, Shannon Frizzell binned in the first five minutes. That's when I knew we were in for a heck of a day and that the man upstairs watching it through his TV screen with mic in hand was going to have a massive impact on this game. I mentioned last week I thought Wayne Barnes was the right man for the job and I stand by that. I actually didn't think he was that bad throughout this contest but it was the TMO which had a shocker for me, got way too involved and you could tell he was out to make a real name for himself throughout this contest. So Frizzell got binned, didn't agree with this one at all for me. He simply tried to lower his contact zone into Bongi and Banami to avoid pulling off a neck roll and get penalised for that. Wet conditions, slippery as an eel, he just slipped off the back of them and then landed on his knees. To say he landed on his legs with intention to cause damage, that is a massive reach for me. It did result in Bongi leaving the field, which again, credit to South Africa. He's their vice captain, he's such a pivotal part of their leadership group. Some would say it was karma for those accusations of racism around Tom Curry. We won't go there. But I thought this was 100% accidental from Frizzell. He looked a bit bewildered by it all. And I thought it was nothing more than a penalty, if that just a clean out gone wrong. You see these type of collisions all the time. There's probably over 30 of them throughout your standard 80 minute contest. So tough on the big frizz there. Next, Artie Savia, that little chip kick over from Geordie Barrett, the bounce of the ball. What a start that could have been for the All Blacks. Down a man, and if the Gilbert had landed on its point and sit up like it was meant to, it would have been try time for ASAV. I also had him as your first tie scorer at the TAB, paying 18 bucks. So that was a double kick kicking the nuts, no try, no winning bet, a tough pill to swallow, but on reflection when you look back at this game, little moments like that and there are a handful of them, shit could the result have been different. Next up, Artie again involved, a penalty against him at ruck time, you'll all know the one I'm talking about, Artie over the ball, looked like he executed it perfectly and it should have been a penalty to the All Blacks for the Springboks player holding on. The hand gets raised but it's in the opposite direction, Wayne Barnes believes that Artie didn't have a clear release. Artie then questions him on it. Wayne watches the replay and apologising, saying that it looks like he did get it wrong. Stoked with that. Great to see a referee swallow their pride and admit that perhaps they were in the wrong there. But then Pollard still gets to kick the penalty. That, to me, is just a big cock-up. Again, I'm happy to live with the mistake and accept human error from the refs. I'd rather, actually, we just roll like that. No TMOs at all. Of course, the referee's going to get some decisions wrong in real time, and I'm happy to live with that. But the fact that he can admit that he was wrong, but then still let Pollard take the kick, he hadn't even put the ball on the tee, so there was plenty of time, in my humble opinion, for him to reverse that. Maybe even a scrum to South Africa, or even better, a penalty to New Zealand. Instead, he just says, suck it up, I got the decision wrong. Pollard knocks the three over, and again, hindsight, but we lose by one, so that decision proved to be extremely costly. The TMO's going to come in on all sorts of decisions. He has to wait in on that one. Next up, and this is the biggest one for me, the Sam Kane Chaos, a yellow that then gets upgraded to a red. So in my opinion, to the letter of the law, the red card was the correct decision. But I think that's the problem 
the law here certainly is broken. Yes, Sam Kane got him high, shoulder contact directly to the head, which ticks all the criteria, which means he's not allowed to enter back into the game. No doubting that. But was there intent? No. Was it reckless? Yeah, probably a little more poor tackle technique. Was the player on the receiving end injured? No, he wasn't. He got straight back up and played on through. To me, this was a pure accident, a late change of direction on the ball carry from Jesse Creel. Caught Kane off guard. He didn't have time to change his tackle height. He even said post-game he thought he was going to be that second defender in to try and attack the ball. He wasn't expecting that late step from him. It resulted in an honest mistake, a high shot to the head, and this should have been a yellow for me. I think a red should only be for reckless acts of foul play or an act with intent to injure. Like what Darcy Swain did to Quintu Pyre last year with that clean out, took out his ACL. That 100% is a red card all day. Or maybe a dump truck tackle where a player drives their neck into the ground. Again, a red. Or a good old-fashioned biff, something dirty at ruck time. Then I'm all for the red card being dished out. But this, for me, was an innocent mistake in a Rugby World Cup final. And it plays a massive part in the outcome of this result. The fact Wayne Barnes was happy with it live, he didn't really see it and wave play on. Then the TMO had to come in and intervene. Kind of suggests to me that this was play on. Also, like I mentioned, Creel, no HIA, no injuries from this. Yellow card would have been sufficient and on we march. And I also think if you're going to dish out reds like this at international level, we need to bring in what is in play at Super Rugby where the player bend can't return but someone else can come on to replace them at the 20 minute mark. Because having a man advantage for 60 minutes in this game really did kind of signal the result early doors and that it was going to be a bridge too far for the All Blacks to pin back. But still, we went into Oranges only 12-6 down. It was almost hard to believe that we were in touching distance of the Springbok side. We had no momentum in the first half, but we were still showing glimpses of being the more threatening team on attack and we looked so much more likely to score a try than the Springboks did throughout that first stanza. Second half... What unfolded next? That certainly has rugby fans around the world even more confused. It almost compounded that Sam Kane decision. Shortly after halftime, Khaleesi, the great South African skipper, makes head-on-head -head contact with Artie in the tackle. Again, a display of poor technique for me. Khaleesi had his head dipped way too early. Came steaming in, looking to put a shot on Artie. Got his head on the wrong side of the body. They clash heads, and Artie actually stayed down for quite some time too. You could tell the shot really rattled him, got him square in the mush. So a yellow card was dished out, the TMO's watching it over and over on replay and decides that it stays a yellow. The great man Grant Nisbet, he was fuming in the commentary and I've never really heard him blow up deluxe like that. In normal circumstances, I'd 100% be happy for that to remain a yellow card. Like I mentioned before, like the Sam Kane one, both of those should have been yellow only and it's six more play on. But if you're going to send Kane off with a red, then I think you have to do the same here. There was more force and damage caused in this collision. Artie stayed down for a few minutes, so that left me a little miff. The fact that Khaleesi could come back on and they found mitigating factors in that one where they couldn't in the Sam Kane collision. Again, just complete confusion. And that's the biggest problem for me when you're sitting down on the couch. I can imagine families all across our nation watching the game together, little kids asking their parents, 
what the hell is going on and diehard rugby fans not being able to explain the difference. That is not what rugby needs as a spectacle and we wonder why people are turning away from the game and going to rugby league. There's just so many little technical issues within our game that make it bloody hard to watch at times. So Khaleesi goes to the bin and then that led to a massive momentum shift. The All Blacks really ramped up their attack to another level and we looked every bit like we were going to go on and win this game but then another twist one of the great pieces of individual brilliance from Richie Mawanga the goosey into a show and go which resulted in a try to the departing legend in Aaron Smith unfortunately though Richie's got the ball on the tee he's ready to bang it over and it gets called back for a knock-on at a line out fucking five minutes ago by old mate the TMO Firstly, two issues with this for me. Number one, you simply can't rule out a try that was created by so much razzle. A goosey into a show and go, and then an offload in contact from a first five. The fact you're going to scratch that out is truly criminal. Secondly, the fact it was Aaron Smith scoring the try, the greatest All Blacks nine ever. Dotting down in his final game, the bloke was almost in tears while leading the hucker. A massive display of passion, and you're going to disallow that one. That is ludicrous, and I'm not talking about the rapper. Shit, does it grind my gears just thinking about it. Now, if you're going to pick up this knock-on, and there are about three or four little knock-ons missed prior to this as well, you need to make every single call. If you're going to go through with a fine-tooth comb, you better not miss anything, and they certainly did here. And that is the most frustrating thing again, the inconsistency in these decisions. Thankfully, it ended up being a penalty to the All Blacks and a few minutes later we did cross the chalk and momentum, it was well and truly on our side. Mark Talia, he worked as Massey Magic, the slipperiest man ever, nine tackle breaks in a Rugby World Cup final, that is a record in this game and he set up Bodie Barrett for a meaty in the corner, which I was fucking nervous was going to get scratched out by the TMO yet again. Thankfully it wasn't and again that's another sad point, you can't celebrate tries until the ball is on the tee it takes away the emotion from the moment imagine you're at a pub it's packed the whole place goes nuts then it gets called back I think I saw a video of some bloke at Shapiro's on the table giving it the big ones when Aaron Smith dotted down didn't see his reaction once it was ruled out but he gets made to look like an absolute dickhead for no reason tough scenes there but a great try to the lads in the corner unfortunately Richie Moe he wasn't able to nudge the conversion over from the sideline which meant me trailed by one point heading into the last 10 minutes or so which set us up for a tense finish and in a way that kind of saved the game as a spectacle I thought it had been a bit tough to watch up until this point the drama was high but it was so stop start and the frustration in fans was really starting to boil over next big call Cole Cheese sent to the bin for an intentional knockdown. It did look a bit like a try was forming too. We had numbers, we had space. Damien McKenzie and co on the outside. There was a Springbox defender back there, which ruled out a penalty try. Fair enough too, because you can't say 100% that we were going to dot. But it was a big play from Colby, resulted in him sitting down in the naughty boy chair. And I noticed he couldn't watch the rest of the game. He had his head tucked into his jersey. The poor bloke. That's probably another rule that needs looking at as well 
but shit, we don't have time today to fix everything wrong with the game. But that resulted in a shot at the sticks for Geordie Barrett, old Bitcoin. And again, he'd been having a massive game. One of the key players for the All Blacks, he was trucking nut all day. His defensive work was massive. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to bang this one over. I was backing him to do so. Interesting on his technique, he gets fully airborne post-contact, which probably resulted in that hook to the left if you really break things down. But he certainly put everything thing into it unfortunately just dragged it across the face of the post but even after this happened I was in the group chat with the lads saying never fear boys we're still going to win this game we're well and truly on top with about five minutes to go and you just had this feeling that somehow the lads were going to dig deep and steal the victory against all odds unfortunately it wasn't to be though we did look like we had them stretched in that final play after some great phase play Artie Savia down the sideline razzled it up with a bit of an offload perhaps unnecessary as we'd just breached their line unfortunately ALB he was unable to pull in that ball which resulted in a scrum a bit of controversy there to finish too I thought there was two opportunities where the Springboks could have been penalised late one a free kick for not putting the ball in at scrum time jeez did Faf take his time there he could tell his pack was getting demolished the so called bomb squad was nothing for Nepal and Tamaiti at scrum time shit did they front up but again didn't put the ball in they got the reset then I thought we twisted that scrum and dominated it enough to get a penalty our way and then I also thought Faf touched the ball while trying to clear it from the scrum and then his number eight who was in front of him picked it up I'd like to see a couple more angles of that because I thought at the time that he was going to blow a penalty to the All Blacks and would have one more shot at the sticks but it wasn't to be. Old Wayne, he put the whistle away. The TMO, he disappeared. One of the great Houdini jobs with the game on the line. And that is all she wrote. So 12-11 it finished. As you can tell, doesn't still quite sit right with me. And I'm still going through the emotional roller coaster. And I don't mean for all of that to sound like one big rant. Like I'm a bit salty. I'm just giving you my thoughts. But it was a disappointing way to have the final play out. Smothered in controversy. And it's fair to say that the rugby played by the players wasn't the main talking point and the shittest thing for me is that the South African side and their victory isn't what everyone is talking about around the water coolers in the aftermath of this game so I do want to say well done to South Africa like I said at the start they played to the wet conditions perfectly and executed their game plan to precision Pollard's goal kicking that proved to be the difference four from four off the tee and he actually kicked a hundred percent at this World Cup 13 from 13 not bad for a bloke who came in as a result to an injury to a hooker in Malcolm Marks what a ballsy decision that was from Rassi and co I think everyone expected them to make it should there be an injury but shit did that pay off in spades Peter Steph Dutoy, he walked away with the man of the match gong and shit could you not give it to anyone else. What a performance from him. One of the best in a Rugby World Cup final that I have ever seen. Oh PSDT, he'll be giving Geordie Barrett PTSD with some of those shots he was putting in. Real rib rattlers. I think there was one early doors. Geordie comes steaming in on a down line, targeting that hole towards the back of the line out, which the All Blacks had exposed so well in that quarter and semi-final, leading to tries to Will Jordan both times. Old Bitcoin had a head of steam up, back fence stuff, thought he was in a gap there, and then old Peter Steph just comes across right shoulder to the ribs, and I'd be off to A&E. That would have sent me off the paddock in a real hurry. Well done to Geordie. Tough as shit. He bounced back up. Probably had that a couple times in the back 
backyard with Scotty and Bowden as a young whippersnapper growing up. But Peter Steph de Toy, a colossal shift, 28 tackles. I don't think he missed one either. And about 26 of them at least were dominant collisions. So well done to him. I thought Khaleesi was unreal as well. What a skipper he is. If the All Blacks couldn't win it, I'm glad it was South Africa as well. Purely just because I wanted to see Sia raise the cup again. He's one of the best leaders in world sport in my opinion. The humility, the way he talks about representing Africa and his people. It's spine tingling stuff. It almost brings a tear to your eye. You can just tell the passion. I reckon he's got a politician written all over him. Shit would he be a good leader of that country. And I would 100% follow him into battle. Seeing him with Artie and stuff post game as well. It's clear to see the respect from the All Blacks towards him in particular is second to none. So South Africa, they become the first nation to win four Rugby World Cups and they also go back to back after winning their quarterfinal, semi-final and final by one point. I said last week maybe that would take a toll on their rigs. I thought they were running out of energy but they went the big lift here so you got to tip your cap to them. Khaleesi, he also becomes the second skipper to lift the trophy twice alongside the GOAT, Sir Richie McCaw. So Khaleesi and McCaw up there in rugby folklore forever. Two bloody good players so it only seems right. In terms of the All Blacks, of course, not the way they wanted things to end, but so proud of the lads as a whole. A year ago, us diehard fans were the only ones that gave the boys a chance. And I will say, I did go on the record in January this year and say that the Warriors would be top eight and the All Blacks would win the Rugby World Cup. So I'm certainly one of those who believed we didn't quite win the William Webb Ellis, but shit did we go close. Bees dick stuff. And in doing so, they certainly captured the hearts of the nation again and got the people back on the All Blacks bandwagon so a massive effort from them particularly in this game they poured everything into it you could see the heartbreak you could hear it through your tv screens especially for Sam Kane shit that I feel sorry for him but while we didn't get the chocolates I think the boys can be so incredibly proud of the shift that they put in against all odds given the circumstances to only finish one point down with chances to win this game it's almost a miracle that we were even in this contest. Unfortunately, a handful of legends and icons of the game for the All Blacks also leave with silver, not gold. But what assets they've been to the jersey, Dane Coles, the king of niggle, Nepo La Lala, what a final shift from him, especially at scrum time, the old dark arts. Guzzler Retallick, Sammy Whitelock, the most capped All Black ever, and Aaron Smith, little nuggy, what a bloke on and off the field. Shit, will they be missed? It's going to be weird not seeing them with the silver fern on their left tit next year become so accustomed to seeing these blokes just go at it week in and week out so it's certainly going to be a new look side in 2024 you've also got to add in the fact Richie Moe the show and go he's off to Japan for around three years rumors it was for some big bickies so good on you Richie you got to make hay while the sun is shining say Lester he's staying in France to pound croissants and baguettes Shannon Frizzell he's off to Japan too but I believe he's actually trying to get out of this deal to stay in New Zealand Razor working behind the scenes to secure him in the sixth jersey. He's had an unreal year and it appears he's got a bit of signing remorse so we may see Shannon hanging around. Of course Bodie Barrett, Poden Parete, he's off as well but he said he'd like to come back and he's not done in the black jersey so perhaps we see him again in the national side but I certainly am expecting to see Richie Moe, Shannon Frizzell, 
profile and say Leicester at your next World Cup. Maybe not Bowden. He's aging a little and there's a lot of young talent. Will Jordan, Shooter, Stevenson and co eyeing for that 15 jersey. But it'll be great to have those other three back in particular as we continue to march on and try to get ourselves back to that number one ranking in World Rugby. So the end of an era there. A new chapter set to begin next year under Razor Robinson. Shout out to Fozzie too. How he was treated was a fucking shambles and I've said it all along to get fired from your job but still have to lead the team to the biggest tournament on World Rugby's calendar is a bizarre situation to go through but he did a bloody good job and the fact that the players and the other coaching staff love him is a testament to him and how highly they regard him, what he means to this side. He doesn't quite leave his serve Fozzie but it was a heck of a knock and I have a feeling him and Sir Shag they're going to team up and coach somewhere around the world. Rumours it could be at the Wallabies. I can't see Fozzie in that doing that to him. Maybe a club side in Japan. Go get paid Ian. You certainly deserve it. So that brings to an end Rugby World Cup 2023. Overall, I think it was a pretty big success too. The pool stages, they probably dragged on a little long for me. That would be my one criticism. But at the same time, there were some great moments in those pool games. That France-New Zealand clash to kick her off, that was a doozy. South Africa-Ireland, what a contest that was. Fiji beating Aussie and creating history, that was special scenes. And then Portugal beating Fiji, speak about scenes. That was iconic stuff and something something that Portuguese rugby fans and rugby fans around the world will probably never forget. I do think the 2027 structure of shortening the pool play will be great because I would have loved to have seen finals footy come round a couple weeks earlier, especially towards the end where some of those tier two nations were just getting pounded by the best teams in the comp. It did lead though to a great quarterfinals. I thought that was probably the best weekend of rugby I've ever seen at test level. Four great games and it'll be harder to find better than those two first semis between the All Blacks and Ireland and South Africa and France. They were top shelf stuff, both of them. Truly elite contests. Unfortunately, the semis in the final, they probably didn't live up to those heights, but it is what it is. I thought France's hosts, they were unreal. Personally, I love my five weeks there. Beautiful weather up until finals time. How ironic that is. The food and the booze, it was top shelf. And the fans really got around it too, especially the local French. I've never seen passion from supporters like that. They're letting off flares in the fan zone. Every scrum penalty or rolling mall they got, they were just giving it the big ones. Random outbursts of their national anthem. Tears at full time whenever they got the win. Shit, do they ride the roller coaster and then I thought the Irish as well they were unreal fans more so for dominating the pub scene pre and post game but boy did they tuck in and bring another element the passion that these guys have for their nation was bloody cool to witness so for me Rugby World Cup 2023 gets the tick of approval I'm sad to see it come to an end but bring on Australia in 2027 and then finally for the footy, and speaking of Australia, Eddie Jones, of course, he has handed in his resignation. What a shambles this whole situation has been. Got to say, not a massive fan of Eddie. I actually liked him before coming into this role, but I think the way he's handled everything, of course, the speculation around him leaving, he shut that down so firmly, told journalists to uppercut themselves, but it turns out they were right all along, and he's been made to look a bit of a fool. Arrived into Aussie Rugby pre-world, 
World Cup at the expense of old not many Dave Rennie, who I thought was doing a good job and forming a pretty solid squad. He blew up the joint, got rid of some experienced players in Quade Cooper and Michael Hooper. And as a result, the Wallabies, they didn't even make the quarterfinals. Then he trots off to Japan after denying he was speaking to them throughout the tournament as if nothing ever happened. Absolute chaos. I had a laugh today when I saw he was named assistant coach for the Barbarians this weekend who are playing in Wales. Michael Hooper, he's also in the side. Razor Robinson, he's the coach and selector. So it might have been a classic stitch up there from Razor to see how these two get on. I can't wait to see how they get on as well. And surely post-game at the team Cordy, a bit of a drunken wrestle and these two can sort out their issues. But great to see Shooter in there too. Surely that's a positive sign for the future that Razor really rates him. But what a shit show and debacle this whole Eddie and Aussie thing has been. And for me now, if I was the Wallabies, I'd be bringing in someone like Stephen Larkham as your head coach ASAP. He's done a good job with the Brumbies. They've been that main force of the Aussie sides in the super rugby scene. Make him your head coach. At least he'll bring in some pride. Win back the locker room. That's the most important thing to do right now because I'd hate to think the mindset of some of these Aussie players. He can also bring back guys like Gregan and Mortlock around him. Legends of the game to establish a bit of mana in that jersey across the ditch. They need it. We need them to be good. So watch this space. Surely the old headgear assassin. Shit, was he a good footballer? Broke our hearts many times. He knows what it takes to beat the All Blacks and quality football sides. So that's where I'd be going if I was Rugby Australia. But stay tuned. I think an announcement will be shortly. And fingers crossed, like I said before, it's not Ian Foster. Jeez, would that break my heart. Dingo Deans all over again. Rugby League God's game and Aussie proved too good for the Kiwis on your Saturday night. I was full fizz heading into this one, bums on seats, parked up on the comfort of my couch, ready for the entree before the Rugby World Cup the next morning. Dual screens, of course, with the black caps on their other TV. And I was picking the Kiwi double for this one, a real give them a taste of Kiwi. Multied it up on my bet slips, I was fully invested. But unfortunately, what played out over the next few hours was nightmare stuff for us Kiwi fans. The Aussies, way too good despite resting a few wigs. No pain in the house. No Tino Faso Malawi. Liam Martin pushed to 18th man but still too strong and they came away with the Bickies in Melbourne. 36 points to 18. The stage was set for an ambush from the start. One of the great Kiwi huckers. I've said it many times and I'll continue to say it. No one does a hucker like this Kiwi side. Then following that, probably one of the most awkward minute and a half that I've witnessed on TV in a long time. Had me a bit anxious. I didn't really know what was going down. One of the great standoffs with neither team willing to take a backwards step. It was cool for about the first 30 seconds. Then it got a little weird didn't think we'd get a resolution then the Kiwi started walking towards them and I thought she was going to boil over into a bit of a buff Nico Hines Ronaldo Molotalo two enforcers doing their best reenactment of a couple bulls rubbing their horns against each other's heads in the end she simmered down and off we went to kick off and I was fizzed up after seeing that I thought can't wait for this first contact unfortunately though Jermaine with a Y Isako then proceeded to send the kickoff dead on the full, one of the great balloon diffusers really sucked all the air out of us and all that fizz we picked up from the hucker. And then from there on out, she was kind of one-way traffic. And the Kiwis, although keeping it close at times, were never really quite back in this contest. Aussie. 
just too classy. They picked us apart methodically throughout this game. I thought we had opportunities and we didn't quite nail them. Things like your final tackle kick, allowing the Aussies to catch it on the full for a seven tackle set. Those are massive momentum killers, whereas the Kangaroos on the other end, they made their chances count and turned them into four or six points and just kept mounting on the scoreboard pressure. A real standout for me was the Hammer. Loves rep footy. He was a gun at Origin, scored meaties for fun, and he's converted that over to the green and yellow jersey as well. Running a muck. He's so fast, but he's showing he's got a real skill set about him as well. Could he end up in the centres for the Finns? I know they have Herbie coming in there, so probably not, but he's looked every bit a genuine throbber, and he's got a massive future ahead of him, both at rep and NRL level. For the Kiwis, I thought our pack went well. Leota and Fisher-Harris, there is no way those guys will ever take a backward step. Moses Leota, to me, has to be one of the scariest, if not the scariest guy in NRL. Looks like one of those blokes off-field, the nicest man ever. But once he gets on the field, he goes full gorilla mode and just flies into contact, whether he's got nut in hand or he's putting on big shots. I'd hate to have to backfence it into him. But unfortunately, the platform that these two love wasn't enough and Aussie get the bicky. Shout out to Cam Murray who tied the record six tries and six tests for the Kangaroos proving that he's not just a pretty face. The best thing about this all though is that we get a shot at redemption this week and old Madge Maguire he's rolled out the same 17 looking to get things back on track. The third week in a row where he's made no changes so I rate the continuity. Of course I'm all about time and saddle. I talk about it every week. This is the definition of TIS so hopefully we see the fruits of that. Mal Meninga, he brings back in the big boppers though. Payne, Tino and Liam Martin. No relation to Ricky. They are all back in the 17. The game is down in the Tron though. So that fills me with great hope as well. And hopefully a bit of mana can come up through that soil. Ooze into the lads boots. And we can flip this result on its head. It's not going to be easy. I think that opening 20 minutes is really going to set the tone. And fingers crossed she's a massive crowd down there at Hamilton so if you're local or even if you're in Auckland make the short commute down I'm sure the boys would appreciate it if we can turn it into a fortress a bit of a cauldron not many of these Aussie guys would have played in the Tron before so we need to turn this into our advantage because winning this game and bringing home some silverware it would mean a lot to these lads and in a way I think we deserve to beat the Kangaroos if we don't it'll be a real missed opportunity in my mind because this Kiwi side is stacked yes we're lacking at hooker which is bloody unfortunate because when you look at the names out there Brandon Smith, Jeremy Marshall King Wellington Phoenix, Crosland I think if we had either of those three then we probably would have flipped that result on the weekend because unfortunately I thought Kieran Foran did a bloody good job but he's not quite your world class hooker I thought Harry Grant showed us that we're lacking a specialist there in that position but get the win this weekend and all will be forgotten what scenes that would be so get up the mighty Kiwis. Sticking to rugby league but switching across to the Waz and of course last week I mentioned I was heading along to that Dynasty kit launch. Gotta say the kit looks unreal especially the off field stuff. Those NBA shorts they are simply delicious. A lot of people saying were well, they sold out already was getting the DMs of doom left right and centre when the kit went on sale on Friday. Spoken to the Dynasty lads those shorts and much more apparel. In fact everything will be back in stock on November the 12th. 
well. So make sure you're ready to go sitting at your computer, credit card in hand, ready to make a couple purchases. The perfect stocking filler in this kit simply is must get your hands on type of stuff. I love our home jersey too. I think it looks even better up close. The Warriors ticky in the back of the One New Zealand logo is a nice touch and there's so much little detail that when you see up close really does make this jersey stand out. So exciting to see the boys run out in the blue, red and green in 2024. On that note, of course it's November 1st today which means officially RTS and CHT are back home. Welcome back home lads, especially the GOAT to Ivasa Snack. Two double barrel last names to further complement the handful we have already in the squad. Webby, he's no fool, that's why he's coach of the year. He clearly identified in order to win the comp and go a little more than we did this year. We need a couple more double barrelers to get the job done. So exciting times as Warriors fans. I think pre season starts next Monday for most of the team. RTS, he's due back the week after. No doubt those calves, the baby cows, they will be looking as glorious as ever. Maybe a fresh coat of coconut oil on them just to give them that extra day one pop under the Mount Smart lights. And then AFB, take a chance on me and the incredible Volk, Ronald Volkman. They'll all return a little later due to international duties, but I think the majority of the squad by mid-November is back on deck. So can't wait to get back amongst it. Got some exciting news as well coming. Re the Warriors and pods for next year as well. So stay tuned for that at a later date. She's going to be hissing stuff. But of course, can't finish the league segment without finishing on a high. So let's shout out the Kiwi Ferns for flying the flag for our great nation and getting us the dub over those losers from across the ditch on the weekend. 12 points to 6, she finished in a bloody good game. It was physical, it was intense, it was a high quality arm wrestle. Neither side gave an inch. You can tell there's a real rivalry starting to develop there now. There probably always was one off the field, but results on the field sort of let it down. But now the Kiwi Ferns they're here to play, led by Mele Hufanga, who is a wrecking ball, a real Miley Cyrus type of operator. It was a huge shift from her. And then I also thought the fullback, Nichols, she was outstanding, alongside skipper Georgia Hale, of course, who I would love to see lead the Warriors NRLW side in 2025. That would be a massive signing and would really get all the girls back in the Warriors' colours like they were prior to the old pandemic. But well done to the Ferns, their first win over the Aussies in seven years and to think that in last year's World Cup final they got dusted up 54 points to four that is a massive turnaround in such a short time pretty unreal stuff and great to see them get the dub on the weekend Weekly wrap time now and we'll kick her off with the Caps who of course unfortunately went down swinging with Rimu in hand after almost pulling off one of the great run chases in World Cup history. We fell a boundary short from pulling off the dub and chasing down the Aussies mammoth total of 388 but in a way it didn't really feel like a loss. She was a bit of a moral victory for the boys. It was a tough start for us. We won the toss, elected to bowl Davey Warner and Travis Head, the headmaster, old blowy. He came out the gates firing caused some real damage scored a ton and raised the bat and at one stage it looked like they were on track for about 500 runs I thought we were in massive trouble but luckily we were able to pull off some late wickets and actually bowl the Aussies out with four balls to spare which looked bloody undoable at the midway stage restricted them to under 400 as well and set us a hard but not impossible target to go after and go after that is exactly what we did Russian my boy 
Russian Revenger blasted 116 off 89 seeds with 9 fours and 5 sixes to his name. That was big bash type of stuff. And alongside Dazza Mitchell, son of John, and Jimmy Neesham, the great man who both scored 50s, we gave this a red hot crack. So well done to the boys. Came down to the last ball. A boundary was needed. We couldn't split the field, but an admirable performance and what was a disappointing but not soul-crushing loss. Shit, would I love to beat the Aussies though. It seems like every time we come into a cricket game, we're hot to trot, full of form, and we just can't quite tip up our oldest rivals. But still, we sit in third on the ladder behind Get That India and South Africa, but ahead of Aussie on net run rate, so suck on that. You may have won the battle, but we are winning the war and still sitting pretty in bronze position. Our next game for us is tonight though, 9.30, the time for bowl off. Probably not the correct term, but it is the cricket equivalent of kickoff, so let's just roll with it. We're taking on South Africa, a shot at redemption for the All Blacks, so let's go after them boys. A huge game, rumours Captain Kane might be back as well, so stay tuned closer to bowl off for confirmation on his inclusion but that would be huge and of course get up the mighty caps how good a bit of Wednesday night cap action nothing bloody better NBA and the internet was broken last night a massive trade made between the Clippers and the 76ers James Harden gets his wish heads off to LA to join Westbrook Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in the retirement home a team where if it was 2017 they would be absolute shoo-ins to win a ring and I did know ESPN have moved them up to number one ahead of the Nuggets and Co on their championship predictor which I found a little baffling PJ Tucker, he continues to be James Harden's carry-on luggage as well. He makes the move to LA in the trade with the Clippers seemingly giving up a packet of Doritos and a Blue V, a 500 mil though, so quite a large can in return for the two lads. They gave up Morris, Batum, Covington, KJ Martin and some draft picks in five years' time. So you could say it's a bit of a steal for an all-star level player. I've seen a lot of interesting reactions to this one. Like I said before, some claiming they're now favourites in the West. Some saying the Clippers gave up their whole bench for a bloke who will be playing in his fourth team in three years. And I tend to agree with that side more. I think the Clippers have probably done the right thing. They're clearly all in trying to win a ring while they have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in particular. But like I said before, with that 2017 statement, I almost think this team is just five years too late. And between Kawhi, and PG's injuries, Russell Westbrook just being Russell Westbrook down the stretch, always wanting the ball in his hand and the fact that Harden, he seems more keen on going to the strippers than playing basketball, that leads me to believe this team, it'll probably make the finals to be fair but I can't see them going deep on a run, maybe a first or second round exit, I have a weird feeling that this could well be the Brooklyn Nets 2.0, that side we saw a couple years back with Kyrie, Harden and KD. Hopefully I'm proved wrong though, I am excited to see how it plays out and on paper they're absolutely stacked so if they can convert it to the court and all sort their shit then they will be unreal. I just think that could be a bridge too far for them to climb, four big personalities who are all going to want the ball and we've seen from James Harden time and time again, he's not about what's 
best for the team. He's out there to do his own thing, put up his own numbers. So stay tuned because, geez, it's going to be an interesting watch. In terms of the other action so far, Denver, they're looking unreal early, 4-0, undefeated and looking every chance early doors to go back to back. Them, Boston and Dallas off the back of some crazy Luka Doncic performances. They're the only three unbeaten teams remaining. On the other end of the scale, Memphis, They've started 0-4 on the donut despite some big performances from Jaron Jackson Jr. They're certainly a team that's missing Ja Morant, although I do expect them to turn things around. I don't think that they're going to be struggling all season long. They may be a side like the Lakers last year that has to go on one of these big late season runs, make their way into the play-in or the bottom rankings in the playoffs, and then go from there. Another team which has surprised me as well, Miami. They are one from four, a side that I expect to really sort their shit as well. There's no way guys like Jimmy Buckets and that won't be playing playoff basketball, surely. Tyler hero he's been solo bam dealing with a few niggles but again i expect them to come right come the business time so an exciting start overall to the nba some massive numbers being put up by some superstar players i can't wait to watch this clippers 2k team for the first time once they take the court just to see how it all looks and then i guess we'll assess from there and then finally for your weekly wrap, that Fury versus Francis Ngannou fight. My quick thoughts on that one. Of course, Fury, he won by split decision. But man, in my books, this was a bit of a robbery. I thought he got really lucky and Francis won that fight, in my humble opinion. I do think, though, they had to give this win to Fury. He has that massive biff coming up with Usage to try and unite the belts. They couldn't have given him the L because then heading into that fight, you can't have the champ going in having just lost an exhibition fight to an ex-MMA fighter so Fury was always going to get his hand raised but Francis did incredibly well in this buff walked into the ring one large shredded human fair to say the complete contrast to Tyson Fury who as always looks like he's carrying a few but boy does he hold it well and move incredibly well in this case though he didn't quite look as sharp and I do wonder if perhaps he underestimated Francis and took this one a little lightly Francis dropped him with a massive overhand left which certainly had some power in him and seeing Fury post fight had that black eye and he did mention there was a fair bit of power behind that fight in the end Fury though he got the win got his hand raised and on he marches setting up that massive biff which I think they're trying to make happen prior to the year ending that's exciting stuff for boxing seeing two of the greats go at it hammer and tongs we may finally see all these different belts be united fair to say though Fury he's gonna have to go back into the lab quickly and overturn that performance shout out as well to Joseph Parker a huge win for him nice little uppercut finish knockout in the third round he's looking sharp at the moment appears to be training very hard looks in great condition as well so maybe things aren't over for old smoking Joe Parker be great to see the Kiwi climbing back up the ranks and get another big fight as he continues to kind of silence the critics showing that he still has what it takes to mix and mingle with the best in that heavy weight division some massive names at this fight too the Saudis they certainly know how to turn it on they got the checkbook out they made sure some 
absolute royalty was in attendance. Even guys like Eminem, Kanye West, they were there with bums on seats and all the big names in combat sport history, they were all there to witness this one as well. Overall, it was a pretty good biff and a good card. I wouldn't mind seeing that rematch of Fury and Ngannou at some stage as well. I'm sure Francis would be keen too and what a payday this was for him post UFC days. He's been under the thumb of Dana White for so long, ripping him off in terms of money like Dana does for most of his fighters so good on Francis certainly can come out of this one with his head held high didn't get the win but I think the people will agree that he is their champion so a great result for him Onto the Q&A now to wrap her up. Chucked up the story yesterday, asked you to fire through your thoughts or questions and good to see that plenty came through. So I've gone through and picked out five of the best that we will tuck into now to finish her off. First one comes through from Rocky who says, why are officials protected species? Would love to see a press conference where they get asked questions post game and look that's a great point there of course captains and coaches in your rugby and rugby league they always front the media post game but so often it's the referee that's had just as big if not bigger of an impact than those players and coaches have had on the outcome so it is a fair point I think it is like you mentioned the referees getting protected from the media I do note they do a bit of a review on a Monday or a Tuesday and the NRL in particular often come out and announce whether calls were correct or wrong and then review it from there. I wouldn't mind seeing the referees kind of front the media post that to explain some of their decisions and maybe take a bit of accountability for their performances. The players, they're always held to account and they have to face the media. So why aren't the referees? That's a fair statement there, Rocky, mate. And I certainly agree with you. Your next question comes through from Grayson Potu and he says, for Ireland to win a Rugby World Cup, they need more players with leg tats, like full leg sleeves. Yeah, look, I think you're alluding to your Bradman best, Clint Guthersons of the world there. I will note their hooker, he had a bit of rugby league about him. I think he was rocking the mohawk and a couple arm sleeves as well. No leg tattoos though, so that's a fair statement. I think rugby union in general is lacking some leg tattoos, an old shinny sleeve. I'm a massive fan of it. No All Blacks I can think of are rocking anything in particular on the lower limbs that really stands out. So rugby union players, if you're listening, raise it up a little, get some ink across your pins. I think it'll go a long way to securing results. And like Grayson said here, Ireland, imagine Johnny Sexton rocking the double leg sleeves. Maybe that'll make him more popular in the eyes of many. Reed Devlin, he says, what's your prediction for the Cricket World Cup final and your thoughts on England's form at the moment? Yeah, I've said it a couple times now, there's no nation I love seeing lose more alongside Aussie than the English. For me, they're just too arrogant, whether it be rugby or cricket, and seeing Brendan McCullum, the old baseball, really starting to struggle now has been great stuff. Of course, they played six games, they've only won one of them, and they're currently sitting in 10th bottom of the ladder behind Bangladesh, the Netherlands, Sri Lanka and Afghanistan. If you told me that pre-tournament, I would have laughed at you. I thought there was no way that this is how it would play out. But it's fair to say they've been underwhelming and they've deserved to lose these games. It's not like they've been the better side and not quite got there. They've lost convincingly. So it's been tough scenes for England cricket fans. 
In terms of my prediction for the finals, if she was to finish today, you'd have India take on Australia in one semi radra and then South Africa taking on New Zealand, which we'll see tonight, so let's see how that one plays out. But if that's what we were presented today, I'd back India to beat Aussie at home and be too strong, and then of course I'd back the mighty Caps to tip up the Proteas and get the win, right the wrongs of the All Blacks. So that would give us an India-New Zealand final, and we've seen this game already in pool play. I mentioned that I thought India would beat us in pool play and then we would trip them up in the big dance. So I'm sticking with my guns there. I think that's how it will play out. Captain Kane back in the 11 to really strengthen us up, give us that leadership direction and his batting expertise. And I think we'll tip them up in front of a sold out crowd and break the hearts of millions of Indian supporters. Get up the mighty caps. will be massive to see them win the World Cup, especially after that heartbreak from 2019. So get up the lads. Would love to see them go all the way. Next question, New Zealand Warriors faithful, and he says, what's your thoughts on Mark Talia? Actually forgot to mention, he won Breakout Player of the Year at the World Rugby Awards. Shout out to Ahri Savia, World Player of the Year, Pipping Dupont, Eben Etzebeth, and Bundy Arki. Andy Farrell, he got Coach of the Year, and Mark Talia nudged out to Mighty Williams to win Breakthrough Player of the Year. All lads deserving of their awards, especially Ahri. Another unreal season from him on and off the field. What a human being he is, but Mark Talia 26 years of age of course what a rookie year at the international stage breaks tackles for fun I don't think I've ever seen a defender make a first up hit on him and I've never seen him go backwards either he's so strong pound for pound always say Marcelo Montoya strongest man in the NRL you'd have to think Mark Talia he'd be right up there for world rugby probably alongside Hardy Savia to be fair both got the PCMs in him Mark is so slippery and to see his development into a world class winger has been a a great watch he's solid under the high ball he's strong defensively but of course the attacking part of the game is where he really makes his hay his work rate's unreal always hunting around ruck time and it's just good to see him ripping up on the world stage I've been playing against him for about four or five years now at club footy level and for years he was making me look like a fool and off his wing offset piece scrum or line out just coming straight down my channel Fair to say I'm not one of those defenders that was able to tackle him one-on-one. -on -one. So it's good to see I'm not alone and he's doing it to some of the best players in the world as well. Really helps my ego personally and get up the mighty coat. But well done to Mark Talia, the Massey magician, the Westgate wizard. What a footballer he is. And I think come next World Cup, him, Shooter, Will Jordan will be our back three. That is one of the most dangerous back threes ever formed in world rugby. And just the thought of those three all together... Moni Narawa in the mixer as well almost has me drooling big fizz for that and then your final question speaking of having me drooling comes through from the great man Travis Moody good to have him back on deck and he says what is your go-to Indian takeaway order and that is a great question a real back fencer there from Travis expect nothing less from one of the great question askers and look to be fair I actually had Indian on Saturday night before ripping into that massive night of sport I usually play it with a pretty straight bat fair to say spices don't really sit too well with me I'm talking when I go to Nando's I'm more a barbecue rather than even a lemon and herb or mild 
bit soft when it comes to that aspect. So when you go to your Indian, I'm just a straight up butter chicken mild. The old timeless classic, nothing better, especially if it's done right. We've got a good local joint round here based in Henderson and they also have a branch on the North Shore in Wairau called Punjab Kitchen. So if you're local to either of those establishments, make sure you check them out. Their sauce to chicken ratio is spot on and the sauce itself is just so thick and creamy, full of flavour. There's nothing worse then a watery sauce because that ruins the whole curry the key is in that brew and these blokes nail it time and time again so I'm a mild butter chicken into a garlic and cheese naan gotta have both of them does make for a tough day the next morning you gotta pound the old Colgate maybe a pack of gum as well as a backup option to make sure that garlic isn't hissing through your breath also not opposed to a bit of a poppadom action as the entrees normally get about a six piece between me and the wife, three each, you know, just to lather the stomach, really set the platform for what's to come. Cheeky little Coke Zero as well to wash it all down, so that would be my order. Pretty standard run-of-the-mill stuff, fair to say it's probably the typical New Zealanders takeaway order, but would love to hear your thoughts there, Travis, mate. You kind of come across as someone that might be running a slightly different cutter, a bit more experimental. So be keen to hear what your weekly go-to is. Love a good Indian though, one of the best takeaway cuisines, in my humble opinion, floating around on planet Earth. So that's us for Surly Talk Sports this week. Jeez, there was plenty to get through. Apologies if I've missed anything. Hope you enjoyed the show as always, and I'll catch you back here on Friday to talk punting and hopefully have some green ticks on your bet slips. Of course, no rugby. That's all wrapped up now. Hopefully your World Cup punts went well for you. If you had Will Jordan as the tournament's top try scorer, she was happy days for you. Unfortunately, my All Blacks 1-12, big swing. Didn't quite come through, but it was an honourable loss in my humble opinion. But we've still got your rugby league and plenty more sporting action to have a cheeky little flutter on. So I'll catch you then. In the meantime, go well. Have a great rest of your week. How good.